If you wanted to take a trip from New York City to Liverpool, all you would need to do is pack your bags, pay for an airplane ticket, and board a plane. Then, in less than 24 hours, you'd find yourself on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, on a completely different continent. But it wasn't always this easy or this fast. In fact, traveling across the Atlantic was often a dangerous task that took months or years if you even survived. As a result, man has always been trying to find new ways to make this journey faster, safer, and more efficient. One example of this was the invention of steamships. These revolutionary vessels ruled the waves just a century ago before becoming obsolete as man found even faster, safer, and more efficient ways to travel, trade, and fight wars. Which begs the question, just what happened to these transatlantic steamships as they have all but seemed to disappear? Today we discover the rise and fall of the steamship. I'm your host Ryan Sokash and you're watching It's History. My own ancestors traveled to the United States on the lost steamships that we'll be discussing in today's video, which is why I am honored to announce that this episode has been sponsored by MyHeritage. You see, I'm an American who moved back to Europe after three generations because of a passion for genealogy. So I can tell you from personal experience that MyHeritage made the discovery of my family's past as well as my life here, a reality. Their easy-to-use tools enabled me to complete my family tree, discover documents, and reconnect with long-lost relatives. Let me explain how it works. You simply set up an account to build your family tree. Have fun by enhancing old photos with color or animation. Perhaps what is most important to me is the seemingly endless database that allows you to search for historic records, teaching you who your ancestors were, what ships they traveled to America on, and in some cases, why they left. This is so interesting because gone are the days when you need to track down the physical documents as a site puts over 16 billion records at your fingertips in just a matter of minutes. You'll come across your family's deepest secrets. And surprisingly, you don't need to know much about your family's past to start this process. My heritage helped me build a roadmap so that I could make the trip back to Europe and walk within the footsteps of my great-great-grandparents. And I can only hope that you'll take advantage of this opportunity to do the same by joining MyHeritage, the number one family history service in Europe. So sign up for a 14-day free trial and enjoy all the amazing features MyHeritage has to offer. If you decide to continue your subscription, you'll get a 50% discount. And now, back to the lost transatlantic steamships. Throughout the majority of history, crossing the Atlantic Ocean was nearly an impossible task, as the Americas seemed to be forever separated from Eurasia. Then, when Europeans developed ships that were powerful enough to survive the journey, the continents would be bridged. However, trips from one side of the ocean to the other would take an extremely long time and would be very dangerous. This would all change with the advent of the Industrial Revolution and the entry into the modern era, where new technology would pull the continents even closer. This new time period fostered advancements in many avenues, and one example of this saw humans harness the power of steam, which was previously thought to be an impossible task. 
involving abstract concepts such as air vacuums and displaced matter. But soon enough, steam engines were created and it was only a matter of time before these same engines would be fitted onto ships and sent across the Atlantic. These new transatlantic steamships reigned king of the ocean from the 19th century all the way up until the Second World War. They also permanently changed the course of history, leaving drastic alterations in trade, immigration, naval warfare, and humanity in general. While the steamships replaced the obsolete sailing ships, soon new technologies came in and replaced the steamships themselves, with advanced aircraft now becoming even faster and more efficient. But in order to get a more holistic view of the impact that transatlantic steamships had on history, I'd like to present you with several prominent examples of individual ships and paint a full picture of their story and hopefully finding out what remains of them today. The first ship we look at is the SS Savannah, which navigated the oceans around 200 years ago. But on May the 24th, 1819, history would be made as the Savannah set sail for Liverpool, England, looking to be the first steamship to cross the Atlantic Ocean. Success was so unlikely that no passenger or cargo were taken, just the brave, ambitious crew. Then, after 29 and a half nerve-wracking days, which saw the crew overcome several technical issues, the Savannah docked in Liverpool, completing the extraordinary journey, which very few actually thought was possible. And I need to emphasize, this was a very important historic moment, because from then on, the Atlantic was open to steamship travel. Upon arriving in England, the Savannah was greeted by welcoming hosts, although there were political tensions between the British Empire and the US at the time. Some of the British even rumored that the SS Savannah's secret mission was to save Napoleon Bonaparte from exile in St. Helena. Anyhow, after a brief stay, the Savannah ventured onto Denmark, Sweden, and ultimately St. Petersburg, Russia, before heading back to the United States. In the next year, the SS Savannah had its steam engine removed and was repurposed into a coastal packet ship, a vessel that transports mail up and down rivers and coasts. But I bet you're wondering what ultimately became of this first transatlantic steamer. Well, unfortunately, in 1821, the Savannah ran aground at Long Island, New York, and broke apart upon impact. Some pieces of the ship have been recovered and restored, but most was lost. Now all that remains are small fragments, such as the canvas from the original sail, as well as the logbook which had the records of its voyages, including that famous trip across the Atlantic to Liverpool. Now, in 2016, a man from Long Island named Thomas Schultz claimed to have discovered where the remnants of the Savannah lie. By studying the bay and discovering pieces of washed up wood and metal, Schultz concluded that the Savannah is buried underneath the sand. He has contacted the state about it, but since the bay is federally owned, it's up to the National Park Service to excavate the area, and they have yet to do so, which would suggest that the SS Savannah has very much been lost to time, which is something that Schultz had directly warned authorities about. You see, the tide will wash away sand, pulling the remnants into the ocean, only to be lost forever. 
After the Savannah proved that transatlantic travel was possible, the shipbuilding technology then gradually adopted to develop newer and faster models. One such example was the SS Great Western. This steamship was designed by Eisenbach Kingdom Brunel, who was a famous British engineer known for creating a lot of iconic Victorian-era infrastructure. He then decided to venture into shipbuilding, and the Great Western was his first. Upon completion in 1838, the ship was 1,320 tons, 212 feet long, and could hold up to 148 passengers, far larger than older steamboats. However, the Great Western did use paddle wheels rather than a screw propeller, which was not common just yet. It was also constructed as an ironclad wooden ship and had four sails along with its two steam engines. On April the 8th, 1838, the Great Western set out for its first voyage from Bristol, England to New York City in just 15 days, which was nearly twice as fast as the rest of the transatlantic ships at the time, making it the fastest steamship in the world. World. Over the next eight years, the Great Western embarked on many trips across the Atlantic, tallying 45 in total. But in 1853, the Crimean War broke out with the British Empire siding with France to join on behalf of the Ottomans against Russia. In a conflict that fought over religious rights for citizens in the Ottoman territory, by the first year of the war, the Great Western was repurposed into a troop transport and sent British soldiers across the Mediterranean and Black Sea to Crimea. But eventually, in 1856, the Great Western was sent to London to be broken up. And although like many ships, it's not exactly known what happened to the parts of the Great Western that were scrapped, but it can be speculated that they were recycled and used to build cottages, which was commonplace for shipbreaking in the 1800s. So most likely, if those cottages still stand, someone unknowingly has a part of the Great Western embedded in their wall. As the transatlantic steamship market expanded exponentially, it soon became a competition for who could build the biggest and most daunting ship. Accordingly, in 1840, the British and American Steam Navigation Company finished the SS President, a massive ship that was 2,350 tons, 243 feet long with a beam of 41 feet, making it the largest ship in the world in the early 1840s. While the ship was immense and beautifully designed from an aesthetic point of view, it seemed as if the engineers put more thought into how to make it as large and visually stunning as possible instead of making it efficient or safe. And this came at a price. For example, the ship was designed to have two decks, but a third, which included a huge salon, was haphazardly added. The president also did not have engines that were strong enough to carry all of the weight, and the paddle wheels were in constant need of repair. And it gets worse. The ship was often given more cargo than was probably safe, and as a result, Slow voyage times were a continuous criticism. In its first year of service, the president would face a disaster in March of 1841. After boarding a trip from Liverpool to New York, it never arrived at its destination. The disappearance of the president was shocking to the British public, with even Queen Victoria herself taking an interest in the search for the ship. But after months of searching, 
nothing was found, and it was declared lost. The embarrassment of this catastrophe eventually led to the British and American Steam Navigation Company going out of business. And here's where things get mysterious. While the official last sighting of the president was when it left port at Liverpool on its way to New York in March of 1841, it's possible that it was spotted in July of 1841 by a Spanish ship returning to Spain from Havana. The captain identified a ship in the distance which he initially thought was a rock. But after approaching closer, they discovered a wreck and boarded it. The crew figured out that this was a steamship, and with later analysis of their description, it suggested that this wreck may have been the president, given the similar paint coating and number of boilers. They had realized that this ship had been heavily damaged in a fire, and certain parts of the ship were completely unrecognizable. While they investigated, they were unable to find any surviving items which could deliberately identify the ship such as papers, documents, or letters. So if this wreck was in fact the president, then that means a massive fire saw its demise. What remains of the crew is yet another mystery within itself, most likely a mystery known only to their ghosts. Now let's turn back to the engineer Eisenbar Kingdom Brunel, who would eventually go on to design three steamships, with the third ship being the SS Great Eastern, which was finished in 1858. This ship was different than the Great Western in many ways, and it was much larger, weighing an amazing 32,000 tons and standing at 692 feet long, making it the largest ship in the world for the next 10 years. It was also fitted with both a screw propeller and a paddle wheel, along with six sails. Originally, it was planned to serve under the Eastern Navigation Company for travel and trade with India just at the start of British colonization, but it was eventually given to the Great Ship Company before construction was completed. Then, when it was launched, the Great Eastern traveled on the New York Line for six years, but there were some complications. The ship was often too large and inefficient, unable to fit most ports, so ultimately it was sold to the Great Eastern Steam ship company where it was repurposed into a cable vessel, now performing the hard task of laying cables across the Atlantic Ocean. The Great Eastern became the first ship to lay a continuous transatlantic telegraph cable. By 1872, though, the Great Eastern became obsolete as specific ships for cable laying were developed and it was retired. After 12 years of inactivity, the Liverpool department store Lewis bought the ship and turned it into a music hall and coastal billboard. And then finally, in 1880, the Great Eastern was sent to the River Mercy where it was broken up. Now given the ship's fantastic size, it took two years to disable it completely and a wrecking ball was required. But here's the cool part. Valuable pieces such as furniture, lights, and lamps were sold to collectors or people who had a personal connection to the ship, like the former crew. While parts of the hull were unable to be recycled, a lot of the wood paneling was turned into a bar, while the deck's caboose was given to a Lanshire school to be used as a playground. Furthermore, Liverpool FC, the biggest soccer team in the city, purchased the top mast from the Great Eastern and used it as a flagpole outside their famous stadium where it still stands today. 
As the centuries progressed and more and more steamships crossed the Atlantic, production became more refined, with the SS Baltic being a reflection of this, weighing 3,707 tons and measuring 420 feet long by 40 foot wide. The Baltic was originally called the Pacific, and it was built in Belfast, UK, by the Harlan and Wolf Shipyard. Then, in 1871, after construction was finished, it was renamed and given to the White Star Line, which was a brand new company at the time. Overall, the Baltic as a ship was known for its state-of-the-art passenger accommodations with high-quality saloons, smoking areas, and sleeping rooms. In September of that year, the Baltic made its first voyage across the Atlantic, arriving in New York City from Liverpool. Then, two years later, she won the Blue Ribbon for breaking the world record for the fastest trip between Liverpool and Queenstown, Maryland. In 1888, the Baltic was bought by a Dutch transatlantic company called the Holland America line and the ship was renamed the Vendom. Following a decade of transporting European immigrants to America, the Vendom accidentally collided with a wrecked ship in the North Atlantic in 1898 and it sunk, but luckily all the passengers were saved. Now this situation is not as unusual as you might think. At a time when wooden ships were still widespread, it was a common danger to come across abandoned and wrecked ships that were not fully submerged in the sea. This was because wood is buoyant and part of a sunken ship would sometimes remain floating in the water. To prevent the Baltic from becoming a hazard herself, the crew actually set fire to the ship and it now sits at the bottom of the North Atlantic. The SS Adriatic was a sister ship to the SS Baltic, and while they shared many stylistic similarities, they eventually would go on to have very different stories. This ship was also built in Belfast by Harlan and Wolf in 1871 before being given to White Star Line. The SS Adriatic was actually built alongside the Baltic. The Adriatic weighed 3,888 tons and measured 437 feet long by 40 feet wide. Besides the floor and furniture, it was made completely out of iron. It could also hold up to 1,150 passengers, and similar to the Baltic, it had saloons, smoking rooms, and even barbershops. These ships were also built following the recent success of White Star's first four steamships when the transatlantic travel market was becoming extremely lucrative. The Adriatic made its first voyage in April of 1872 from Liverpool to New York City. Through its tenure, she would be caught in multiple accidents, most of which the Adriatic was at fault for. For example, in 1874, the Adriatic slightly grazed the Parthia, but then the next year she collided with the Columbus, a British schooner causing it to sink. Months later, the Adriatic completely crushed the Harvest Queen, an American packet ship which was much smaller. She killed everyone on board. So while the Baltic met its demise as the victim of an accident, its sister ship, the Adriatic, was often on the other side of the story, spelling the end for many. But after nearly three decades of service, the Adriatic became too obsolete, and in 1899, it was broken up and pressed in England, with its parts being sold for scrap. The next ship we'll have a look at is the transatlantic passenger ship titled SS Freysia, originally called the Alsatia. She was built in 1872 by a Scottish shipping company before going to the Hamburg-Haver New York line. 
much larger than older steamboats, this ship was 364 feet long by 40 foot wide and was 3,500 tons. Overall, it could also hold up to 820 passengers. And as steel ship hauls were becoming much more common, the Fraser remained one of the few iron ships still in use at the time. Then, on August the 21st, 1872, the Fraser made its first journey from Hamburg to New York in just 11 days. In these early years of service, the Fraser carried many immigrants from Europe to the USA, especially those fleeing religious persecution, overpopulation, crop failure in their homeland, or just seeking economic opportunities and freedom in the United States. One such story of this is in 1876, when 70 Russian immigrants traveled from their hometown in Kratsky to Hamburg, Germany, to board the Frasia. Then they arrived in New York City before heading to Russell County in Kansas for the valuable farmland. Alongside many German immigrant families, they formed the Bender Hill community, which still stands today. After nearly a decade and a half of transporting immigrants to the US, the Frasia was sold to a British company before ultimately being sold to an Italian company only four years later. The Frasia was renamed, and under new management, she still operated along transatlantic trade routes, which was natural as she was administered by the NGI, which was a large Italian shipping company that had routes in the Mediterranean, but also sent materials back and forth between Italy and South America. After 12 years of transporting raw materials like coal between Italy and South American nations, she became so old that she could no longer handle transatlantic trade or sea trade of any type. The ship was then coal hulked, meaning that since it could no longer sail, it was just used to store coal. Then in 1802, she was officially scrapped. It's not known what happened to the remnants after scrapping, but one can speculate that its fate was similar to that of the SS Silesia, a ship that was built by the same firm and operated under the Hamburg American line before running aground. It was then scrapped and the metal from its hull was sold. The most well-known entry on our list is the Royal Mail Ship Titanic, a British transatlantic passenger ship. With construction beginning in 1909 and finishing in 1911, the Titanic was commissioned during the height of popularity for transatlantic passenger trade with both immigrants and travelers looking to head across the Atlantic Ocean. At the time, the two most successful lines were Cunard and White Star. Cunard developed two groundbreaking ships, the Mauritania and the Lusitania. In order to keep up with competition, White Star responded with the construction of three ships, the Britannic and the two sister ships, the Olympic and the Titanic. The Titanic itself was an architectural masterpiece that contained revolutionary amenities such as elevators, a swimming pool, a massive dining saloon, parlor lounges, and gymnasiums. The general decor of the ship was also simply masterful, with long wooden staircases, statues, and custom finish lining the halls. This ship was pleasant for almost all of its passengers, not just the first class as the second and third passengers were given better quarters than other comparable ships at the time. 
Overall, the Titanic was also a massive ship, weighing up to 52,000 tons and measuring 882 feet long by 92 feet wide. On April the 10th, 1912, almost exactly 110 years ago today, the Titanic set sail on its very first voyage from Southampton, England to New York City. Many prominent passengers were aboard, including socialites, moguls, and even the famous captain of the ship, Edward J. Smith. Four days later, though, the Titanic traversed an area known for icebergs, but a breakdown in communication and oversight from the radio operators meant that Captain Smith did not know he was heading into a dangerous ice field. The lookouts were unable to spot a massive iceberg in the Titanic's path, and the ship turned too late, with the iceberg scraping the starboard. Now let me emphasize, this ship was not meant to sink. You see, the Titanic was built as a ship separated into 16 compartments. This was a safety feature intended to prevent sinking if the hull was punctured, as when one of the compartments will fill with water, all the others could be closed off. Because of this, many claimed that the Titanic was unsinkable. However, upon scraping this iceberg, five compartments were pierced, and as they all filled with water, the ship tilted, causing water to overflow into the surrounding compartments as well. Immediately, the ship started sinking and distress signals were sent out, but the closest ship was three hours away. This, coupled with the fact that the Titanic did not have enough lifeboats, meant that many were doomed. As the famous James Cameron movie depicted, the situation quickly devolved into chaos, and musicians tried to calm the passengers by playing, but they too would perish. The bow completely filled with water and sank, first causing the stern to emerge out of the water in a seesaw-like action. The weight of the stern was too much to handle, and the entire ship split in two, with both sections turning downwards and plummeting to the ocean floor. By the time the nearest ship, the Carpathia, came and rescued the survivors, only 705 people lived and over 1,500 died. The tragedy was heavily publicized due to its truly shocking nature and multiple investigations were held. The ship remained completely lost at sea until 1985 when an American and French dual expeditionary force operating with the US Navy discovered the ruins of the Titanic using a remote controlled underwater camera. They discovered both halves of the ship still laying upwards, but now rooted in sand. As recent as 2019, iron-eating microorganisms have done so much damage to the Titanic that it's almost unrecognizable. Luckily, through many diving trips, numerous smaller artifacts and novelties have been saved, such as menus from the dining saloon, the instruments and sheet music from the musicians who tried to calm the crowd, and even some jewelry left behind by passengers. And while the ocean eats away at the ship little by little each year, the Titanic lives on in the public mind through popular media. Hailing from the aforementioned Cunard Line, the RMS Lusitania was built from 1904 to 1907, and upon its completion, it was the largest ship in the world, weighing nearly 32,000 tons with a length of 787 feet. She also became world-renowned for her speed, breaking the record for the fastest trip across the Atlantic when she sailed from Liverpool to New York in September of 1907. However, what the Lusitania is most 
most known for is her sinking during the First World War. In May of 1915, during the second year of the Great War, the Lusitania was heading back to Liverpool amid ongoing naval warfare. Earlier that year, Germany had declared the seas around the UK as a war zone and sunk any ships in these waters, no matter the type of ship or who was aboard. These atrocities were committed with their deadly fleet of U-boats. The policy was dubbed unrestricted submarine warfare, and it was devastating to Great Britain. And this story is a kind of strange paradox, whereas the Titanic is certainly the more famous of the two sister ships, I find the story of the Lusitania to be far more disturbing. You see, before the Lusitania reached the coast of Ireland, they had been warned of nearby submarines, but the captain dismissed the precautions. Then, on May the 7th, a German U-boat shot a torpedo that hit the Lusitania's steam engine, causing a massive series of explosions and killing 1,198 people aboard. Given that 128 of the 1,198 passengers killed in the blast were American citizens, the American public was outraged and many demanded a declaration of war, but the US government decided to maintain neutrality for the time being. The German government justified the attack, claiming that the Lusitania was carrying weapons and ammunition that were going to be given to England, and they also claimed that they had warned the ship to turn back. The Secretary of State, William Jennings Bryan, a two-time presidential candidate and one of the most popular political figures of the era, sent a letter to the German government criticizing the morality of unrestricted submarine warfare, and as a result, the Germans ended this policy. However, as the war continued on, as a brutal stalemate, Germany restarted their unrestricted submarine warfare campaign in January of 1917 with several American civilian merchant ships being sunk immediately. This, along with the Zimmermann note and the increasingly negative public perception of Germany since the sinking of the Lusitania, led Congress to declare war on Germany on April the 6th 1917. After the war, the Lusitania remained at the bottom of the ocean from 1931 to 1935. A diver team led by a man named Simon Lake salvaged what he could from the Lusitania, but it was extremely difficult and little progress was made. In 1967, U.S. Navy divers John Light and Greg Bemis purchased the Lusitania, but constant court proceedings and disagreements with the British government meant that the Lusitania was not able to be explored again until 2007, but once they had permission, numerous divers were able to study the wreckage. It was here that millions of rounds of rifle ammunition, as well as artillery shells, were found, which ultimately proved the validity of the German claims. More interesting things were uncovered as well, such as dinner sets, a telegraph machine, several of the brass propellers and anchors, among others. Unfortunately, even with more advanced technology, the current diving teams run into the same issues that Simon Lake ran into almost 90 years ago, as the Lusitania sits 300 feet below water, where there's no natural light. Another issue is that the ship slowly sinks deep deeper and deeper each year. This makes exploration of the site tremendously tough, and as a result, there remains a vast array of artifacts still in the ship or the surrounding area. 
By the 1930s, the powerful British shipping companies White Star and Cunard merged to form one conglomerate. They built two new liners, the RMS Queen Elizabeth and its sister ship, the RMS Queen Mary. The Queen Elizabeth was the newer and bigger of the two, and for a period of time, it was almost the largest passenger liner in the world, measuring in at 1,000 feet long, 118 feet wide, and weighing 84,000 tons. However, construction of the Queen Elizabeth was unable to be finished in 1939 with the outbreak of the Second World War, and both the Queen Elizabeth and the Queen Mary were repurposed to assist the war effort. Construction was sparsely resumed when possible during the war, but the ship's importance meant that it had to be protected from German spies. In fact, in order to avoid German sabotage or theft of information, the Queen Elizabeth was secretly transported to the US, which was a neutral nation at that point of the war. Throughout the rest of World War II, the Queen Elizabeth was repainted gray and became a vital wartime vessel, transporting troops, ammunition, and supplies to and from allied countries all across the world, such as Canada, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. When the war ended, the Elizabeth went back to its original role as a transatlantic passenger ship and was very popular despite air travel leading to the mass decline of steamships. The Queen Elizabeth was a truly beautiful ship. She had many large dining saloons, ballrooms, and even a cinema. Unfortunately, the cost to maintain her grew out of hand, and its reign as a transatlantic passenger liner came to a sad conclusion in 1968. The ship was purchased by an American company in Florida and transformed into a floating hotel casino in Fort Lauderdale, but a combination of low attendance and the burden of Florida's tropical climate on the ship meant that it would be sold again only two years later, this time to a Chinese business tycoon who planned to turn the vessel into a floating university. So before it came Seawise University, the Elizabeth took one final journey, traveling from Liverpool to Hong Kong. Construction began on the Elizabeth, but just as it was almost finished in 1972, the ship mysteriously caught fire. The fire was so destructive that the ship was damaged beyond repair, and she even capsized and then sank in Victoria Harbor. Most claim that the sinking was due to the amount of water needed to fight the fire. There's also a debate over whether the fire was truly an accident or not. Some pointed to the owner, accusing him of staging the disaster so that he could receive a hefty insurance payoff. Well, a more prevalent theory stated that the communist construction unions started the fire after continual disagreements with the owner, who was a Chinese nationalist. Whatever the reason be, the majority of the Elizabeth remains in Victoria Harbor to this day. Because of the debris and the shallow water, this area is actually very dangerous and other ships are warned against anchoring here. Some of the hull, which protruded out of the water, has been scrapped for its metal, but most of the ship is intact. Some notable items were salvaged over the years, such as a few anchors and a flag. Additionally, the owner requested the Q and the 
E from the ship's hull to be removed and placed on a massive plaque outside of one of his buildings in Torrance, California. Furthermore, some of the metal from the hull was recycled and turned into a collectible set of pens. And on a final note, the legacy of the Queen Elizabeth lives on in other ships that were produced afterwards. Two later transatlantic ocean liners were built. The Queen Elizabeth II, which was constructed in 1969 and was in service until 2008, until it retired as a floating hotel in Dubai, and the Queen Mary II, which is the only remaining transatlantic ocean liner still in operation today. It's amazing how little remains of these ships, whether it be the first steamship that crossed the Atlantic Ocean, the ones that brought millions of immigrants to the US, vessels that saw war action, or ships that ended up in tragedy, these steamships left invaluable marks on history and world events. They should never be forgotten, even if they've been replaced with more advanced technologies. Because the truth of the matter is, from a personal perspective at least, if these ships wouldn't have existed, nor would have generations of my own family. And if you're American, there's a good chance you could say the same. In fact, if not those ships, I wouldn't even exist to make this video. So if you'd like more videos about steamships, let me know by hitting that subscribe button. And until next time, this is Ryan Sokash, signing off.